ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Leading organisational psychologist Adam Grant is an expert on work culture, on building thriving teams and dealing with making workplaces more dynamic. Now, his motivational speaking on workplace structures and thinking continues to get people really thinking about changing habits and helping workers and managers work effectively in teams. Here's a snippet of one of his first viral TED Talks. Know that being quick to start but slow to finish can boost your creativity. That you can motivate yourself by doubting your ideas and embracing the fear of failing to try. And that you need a lot of bad ideas in order to get a few good ones. Look, being original is not easy, but I have no doubt about this. It's the best way to improve the world around us. And that's a snippet from one of those talks. The New York Times best-selling author and podcast host is bringing his keynote presentations to Melbourne and Sydney later this month, and he joins us now. Adam Grant, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. What stands out to you as one of the, the biggest workplace issues in Australia? Oh, right now, I think setting boundaries to protect from burnout is a big one. Okay, burnout. We hear a lot about burnout. How do you know you've got it? Well, usually we think about it as a sense of emotional exhaustion, where you're so drained by your job that you feel you have nothing left to give. And if you feel like you're experiencing it, how do you shift that or, or change your perspective? Well, I, th- I think it's easy to put the responsibility on an individual employee, but the reality is if multiple people are burning out in an organization, that's not a psychological problem in your head. It's a structural or a cultural problem in your workplace. So when we look at the, the various ways that burnout can be cured or at least prevented, um, they tend to fall in three buckets. One is to try to reduce job demands, um, just stop overloading people with work. Two is to give people more control, more choices about what they work on, when they do it, um, who they work with. And then three is to give them more support. And I think this is what the the right to disconnect discussions are all about, uh, trying to make sure that, that people have the permission if they need to take you know, time to unplug or if, even if they need to take a recharge day or a mental health week, that there's, you know, there's an opportunity to do that. It's interesting you mentioned the right to disconnect. Of course, it's been at the centre of discussions in Australia because of legislation. Talk to me about your views on that, because we're hearing from employers that they're worried about unintended consequences. For instance, we have built these really flexible workplaces and, of course, the revolution in uh, phones and access to information has made that possible. Could it limit that flexibility? I, I do think that's a risk. And, you know, I think I think these policies are very well intended to try to restore the balance of power between employers and employees. The reality is that the people who need a policy like this most are the least likely to be able to use it. Right? If, if you have an abusive, toxic boss, uh, you're going to have a very hard time, you know, making your legal case. Um, and, and you're the one who's you know, most most desperate to be able to disconnect. And so I, I don't think that legislation is enough to move the needle. I think what we need is, is a real understanding of all the ways in which requiring people to be available all the time, no matter what else is going on in their lives, actually detracts from the quality of their work and ultimately makes it hard to retain talented people. So you think that that impost actually makes people not want to stay? 
I, I think empirically, there's a lot of evidence that <laughs> that is one of the the prices that you pay uh, when you ask people to be always on is the best people have opportunities to to go elsewhere. And they're very happy to do that if if they don't like the quality of their life. In a post-COVID world, many people in Australia have pivoted to working from home. In fact, uh, you know, it's it's one of the, the biggest structural shifts we've seen in, in the workforce, I think, f- you know, for a generation. Do you see this as detrimental to workplaces? Uh, I think it depends on what kinds of outcomes we're, we're measuring. So there's been a lot of research using careful randomized controlled experiments, longitudinal studies, trying to figure out what are the implications of of flexible work. And I think what we know is that being fully remote is hard in a lot of ways. But hybrid work where people come into the office two or three days a week and then they work from anywhere the rest of the week um, is every bit as effective from a performance standpoint. You don't lose anything from a collaboration perspective either. Um, And people are just as likely to get promoted and also significantly more satisfied and more likely to stay. And I think if, at least, you know, as I look at the evidence, I think where I've landed is that hybrid is not only the future, it's also the present. Recent studies found that younger generations in the workplace need greater praise and encouragement in the workplace. We hear this this generational war often and war of words too about the way that different um, groups uh, work. Do you think that's that's right and that, that that praise needs to be delivered? Well, Patricia, I I actually think it's not a generational issue. It's an age and life stage challenge. Um, What what we know from extensive research is that people, when they're novices at a task, when they're new to a situation, they crave praise because they're looking for encouragement to boost their confidence and tell them, yeah, you can do this. And then as they gain expertise, as they gain experience, as they move toward mastery, they become less dependent on praise and more dependent on constructive criticism to try to figure out how they can get better. And I think what that means is we shouldn't think about this as you know as something that was unique to millennials or Gen Xers. Um, praise is something that 22-year-olds tend to seek when they're doing a job they've never done before, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right, because they're new to it and they, and they need that feedback loop. Yeah, I'd like to know that I might be good at this one day. Yeah, makes sense, doesn't it? It's also perhaps older generations might like praise too, but it's not not the done thing to ask for it. Well, I think this is where we do see a generational difference is uh, younger employees are more likely to be vocal about what they want, but it doesn't mean that what they want is fundamentally different. Yeah, and and that that vocalness is again, I think, um, you know, society changing, right? And expectations around what you can say and what you can't say changing. Yes, there's a, there's a sort of a drop in concern for social approval, worrying about what does everybody else think of me, and a rise in desire for self-expression. That I, whatever I think, I want to be able to, to put that out there. What is the biggest challenge that you can see in 2024 that workplaces and bosses that might be listening need to, need to think about? Well, I think, I think it's fair to say that there's a long list of them. Um, from my perspective, I think the biggest challenge is uh, being able to anticipate change as opposed to just adapting to it. Um, I think, you know, I, I work with so many leaders who have gotten very attached to best practices 
And what they're failing to realize is that many of their best practices were built for a world that does not exist anymore. And what they need to do is they need to be willing to constantly look for better practices, which means you can't rest on your laurels. You can't be complacent about the way you've always done it. You need to be willing to think again about how you lead, how you work, um, how you build organizational culture, how you collaborate. And I think for, for me, what that means is we have to run more experiments. Um, it's the best way to become a learning organization is to say, okay, I have a hypothesis. Um, let me test this out. Let me pilot it. And it may not work, but the hope is that we've discovered something through through the process of trial and error. Really interesting to talk to you, Adam. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Adam Grant is a leading organisational psychologist who will be presenting in Melbourne and Sydney later this month with the Growth Faculty. Head to the Growth Faculty website for tickets. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.